This episode is a mic swap. It's a concept I came up with back in 2017 at the very start of Shareable. I thought, what if I shared the mic and let my guests become the host and I became the guest of my own show? This simple swap has allowed my guest hosts to take the conversation in unique and unexpected directions, producing some amazing one-of-a-kind conversations that I never could have planned. The concept is so good, in fact, that plenty of my podcaster friends have taken the idea for themselves. So, I hope you enjoy this episode of Mike Swap. Hi, I'm Sarah Hannison. Happy to be back on Mike Swap of the Shareable Podcast with my guest today, Jeff Gibbard. Thanks for joining me, Jeff. Thank you for having me, Sarah. So, Jeff, today I want to talk about the public speaking career, the professional speaking career. I know you've been a speaker for many years at this point. So how has that journey been for you and what are you working on today? So I started in, uh, I think it was 2010 was my first big talk. My first talk was like 150 to 175 people room, which at the time felt like ginormous. Um, and I had to give a 90 minute talk. And I had never given any talks. So I called up a speaker friend of mine. I asked like, how do you do it? And he told me to break it up into chunks. So I broke it into three 30 minute chunks. Um, and then I broke those down into like three 10 minute chunks. And then I gave my first talk and it was crazy because I will never forget this moment ever for as long as I live. But I remember that it was out in LA. So I flew from Philly to LA. It was a foreign place, you know, and it's my first time out there. I'm all by myself. And uh, I'm sitting in the audience waiting for my time to go up there and give my talk. And I am like absolutely terrified. Like, I mean, like, I'm going to bomb. Am I prepared for this? I'm going to be the worst at this. Like, what's going to happen? Will I be good? Won't I be good? Like, I, it was just all the nerves, right? Like, I didn't necessarily think that I wasn't going to be good, but I just was like full of like panic and fear. So I hear them start to give my introduction. I'm like, okay, it's my time. I'm like freaking out. And uh, and they call my name and I walk up the side of the stage. And as soon as my foot, I'll never forget the feeling. As soon as my foot hit the actual stage, everything went quiet. And I just felt totally at peace. I, I thought you were going to say you fell down. So this no, is no, no, okay. no, 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 no. That would be horrible. That's a horrible. Like, and then no, I landed my, on the stage. No, okay, my first story was much better than that. No, I, I went out there and I immediately felt like I belong there. And everyone was looking at me and I was like, this makes sense. I'm an only child. And like, I just, I don't know what it was, but I got up there and I think there were two things that I've come to learn over the, uh, you know, interceding 13 years or so. Um, is that at the time, one, I was prepared. I knew what I was talking about and I knew my material. Cold. Knew it. That was the first thing. And the second thing is that I was passionate about my material. I was passionate about what I was talking about. Now, I wasn't passionate about social media towards the end of my career in social media, which I mean, I still advise clients. I still do stuff in social media, but like the luster wore off of it. But at that time, I believed we were going to change the world. I believe that we we're going to change the world for the better. So when I got up there, I felt like I it was my duty to the world and it was my duty to that audience to deliver my message and what I knew with the excitement and passion and like depth that it required. And, you know, now I don't talk about social media. Now I have, um, we have, I have three talks, one of which we do together. I have a talk on lovable leadership. Uh, it's called um, The Way of the Lovable Leader. I have a talk called Becoming Superhuman, which I absolutely adore. And I'll give you a quick fun story about that next. Um, but what I learned in the, the time between that, I gave hundreds of talks. 
was that um, you really have to care about what you're talking about and you have to be prepared, whatever that means for you. Because there was a period of time where I was kind of overly underprepared for lack of a better term. And I also wasn't interested in what I was talking about anymore. So when the luster of social media wore off, I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't do what I do, which is get up on stage and have an energy about me. I got up there and I, I didn't care about what I was talking about. And if I didn't care about what I was talking about, how could I possibly enroll others in caring about what I was talking about? So that's a big learning that I took away in that, in that time. Yeah. So I, I work, um, I'm in Michael Port's speaking program right now, heroic public speaking. And one of the things he said is, you know, there's no one is going to have as much fun in the room as the speaker. The speaker is always going to have the most fun. So if you're not having fun, they're not going to have fun. 100%. If you're not loving your content, they're not going to love your content. And it, and it really is like you, you set the tone of the room as a speaker. So I, I totally feel that. Um, what are some of the tips that you would have for people who are just starting out in the speaking industry? You know, they're considering being a speaker. They've never had a paid gig before. You know, what would you say to those people and some tips that you've learned over the many years of speaking? Um, I'm going to start here with the, um, I don't know, I don't know how to categorize this, but I guess I would call it like the pattern, the paradox of, um, comparison, which is that. On the one hand, you need to actually watch other speakers. You need to study them. You need to understand how they operate. And you need to pick and choose and take the things that you like, that you admire, but also that feel right. And at the same time, you also have to be very wary of comparing yourself to someone that you're not, right? You know, I could give sports analogies for this. I can give all sorts of them. But like, you are you. And you have to find your distinct you-ness about being on stage because it's very difficult uh, unless you have a career in acting and performance arts to be someone else up there. Now, that's not to say that when you go up on stage, you're not performing a version of yourself because, you know, you need to be a certain way on stage. But what I mean is, is that there are lots of different types of speakers that are, some are really funny. If you're not funny, try as you might you may find that you're creating a much more uphill battle when you might just be a really good breakout speaker, or you might be a really good workshop trainer, or you might be a really good, you know, inspiring keynote. You might be a really good. So like everybody's got a way about them. And I think it's really important to be very careful in your comparison. I would say research, but don't compare um, is, is I guess the best way I could put it because my speaking career had three distinct like plot points up until this point. I've been doing this for 13 years now. And there are three standout memorable moments. The first I just gave you, first time my foot hit stage, felt totally comfortable. I had no one to compare to. I just felt like me. And for years, I felt amazing on stage because I wasn't comparing myself to anyone. I was just having fun up there. And I loved my content. I was good at it. Then I saw really good speakers, really good speakers. And I started to think, I want to be that good. So I started to look at them and I started to try on things, I tried on things that really didn't fit. You know, it felt like sometimes I was trying on a shirt that was an extra, extra small and I tried to stuff myself into it, but that wasn't me. And what happened was, is that I got a little better in some ways, but then I started to kind of overthink it. I was described it as Charles Barkley's golf swing. If anybody's never seen that, go Google it. But I was so overthinking every step that I became very 
um, I felt trapped on stage. It felt like I couldn't just be, right? So what happened was the second big moment in my speaking career was I got caught in the lights and I got shook and I panicked on stage. I was giving a keynote, big room, bright lights, couldn't see anyone, didn't care about my content at all. I really was like so over social media at that point, didn't care about talking about it. And I had over underprepared, right? Like I had tried to script out parts of it. I tried to be, think about my blocking and this and that, but I realized I didn't care about what I was talking about. I didn't know my lines well enough or my material well enough in, in the way I was trying to do it, very structured, right? So my second big moment was getting shook and I took two years off of speaking almost. Like I did little little things here and there, but like I mostly didn't talk because I got terrified and I was like, maybe I shouldn't do this. And then the third big moment was I saw a friend of mine uh, give a workshop and he was just so loosely himself. He was amazing, but he was amazingly um, comfortable. And and I thought to be a great speaker, I have to be a little bit uncomfortable. Right? Like I have to be very thoughtful and I have to move this way and I have to give a performance. And I had all these things in my head. And when I saw him speak, it shifted something in me and I gave my next talk shortly thereafter, becoming superhuman to a, uh, as a guest lecture. And I absolutely like lit the room on fire. I like was in it. I was in my zone. And it was the third moment. It was breaking out of that fear. And I now feel better again about getting on stage because I'm no longer holding myself to be someone else. So those were the three distinct kind of things. And that's my point about the comparison is when I was overly comparing myself to others and trying to be someone I wasn't, that's when I faltered. And when I let myself go the way I saw somebody else let themselves go and just be themselves, that's when I was free again. I think that is huge. That permission to be yourself on stage is that, you know, it, it feels natural. It feels like you also people can deliver messages all day long, right? By a podcast, by a video, you know, there's, there's so many modalities nowadays that we can share messages, but people show up in a room to hear you the way you're going to deliver that message. And I think that that's really, really powerful, especially for newer speakers. Yeah. Don't be a cover band. Yeah. That's you know good. what I mean? Like, yeah. don't be a cover band, be you go do your thing out there. You know, there's a lot of years where like, you know, early on Gary Vee was like, the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And like that luster has worn off significantly. But there was a time where like what he was doing was like a different thing. Getting up on stage and like jeans and a t-shirt and cursing. I was like, yo, this guy's amazing. Um, and he's talking about social media. I love social media. So like that was awesome, right? And um, I thought that was really great. But then at a certain point you realize like, okay, there's some of that that's kind of me, but not, I don't want to be Gary Vee. I want to be me. Yeah. It's really, really powerful. So let's talk about your creative process. So someone says, you know, can you talk about this? Or, you know, I say to you, let's work on a new keynote. What is the creative process? And first I want to hear about how you do it by yourself. Yeah. And then, you know, my, my follow-up question to that I'll already tell you is thinking about, you know, let's maybe share a little bit about how we did the process together. So first, what's, what's your process that you go through when you're creating a new keynote? Yeah. And thank you for doing it in that order, because I don't, I don't know if we have ever actually talked about this. This might be our first time talking about it because I think where we had challenges was probably due to the fact that I was trying to build the talk the way that I do it. And you have a way that you do it. And those are not approaching from the exact same direction. They eventually kind of meet in the middle, but like they're not the same. So here's how I approach any new talk. Any new talk comes together almost the same as any new blog post, as any new book, as I outline. I start with what's the goal I have for whatever this thing is? Like, what is it about? What's the theme? 
And then I try to break it down into like maybe three parts, three or four parts, kind of an introduction with the problem, then maybe some solutions and then like kind of key takeaways, right? Like something like that is a standard format, awful better connector, hundred formats, story brand, red thread. The idea is that I try to understand what is the overall goal? What are three steps in the sequence to get me there? And then um, once I have those kind of goalposts, then I kind of try to fill in each of them. So I'll take each section, similar to what I said about my first talk, right? Like, so I had a 90 minute talk, I did three 30 minute sections. So I said, what's in this first 30 minute section? What's in this next one? What's in the next one? And then, okay, I have 30 minutes. That's going to be like probably 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. And it's not exactly that, but like I try to break bigger things into smaller pieces. And then when I get to those smaller pieces, I try to then think through what would make, you know, I try to look macro at the whole thing. And I think like, okay, I probably got to have a story or two in here. Uh, I got to probably have like a, a, a hard hitting emotional moment, you know, like one where like there's silence on purpose, you know, and, um, and I try to think through like, what are some of those kind of key moments that are going to happen throughout the talk? And then I figure out where they go. For me, the whole process of building a talk is narrative arc. The whole thing is the narrative arc of the entire talk and the plot points that build along the way to do it. And I'm really, and this might go back to the fact that I was a film major. Like I, I learned to write doing plays, screenwrite, screenplays, and, um, and just thinking about three act structures and playing with the three act structure and moving things around. And then when I got into brand communication and messaging and marketing, and copywriting and things like that, then I started to learn more about different ways to tell stories. So when I build a talk, I'm doing the exact same process, but I'm thinking how to do it visually and kind of thematically um, throughout the process. So that's basically my process. And it happens very quickly, generally speaking. So like um, I put together the outline, it might be like a mind map or bullet points. You know, like, I, I don't know if you remember when we were in Boston and we were mapping out brains at work, but it's basically what I was doing. I was just like, okay, well, it's going to be, it's going to be about this. And here are the three sections. We're going to go through in there that we're going to talk about these things. That's how my process looks. And then I'm just filling everything in because I've got the outline. I got to clarify that point, Jeff, because we were in Boston, we were at a conference together and we had something that got canceled and we didn't have to go to something for an hour. And so what we did was we went to the Starbucks in the conference center and we said, we have a few minutes, let's work on this now. I don't know if that's normal for people, but you really had the ability in that moment to sit there and just go, let's brain dump right now and get it out onto paper, right? And so I think that that's really cool. So I think I see people putting things off. I'll get to it later. I'll do it when I have a five hour block of time. I'll do it over the weekend, right? It's so easy to put these things off. If you have that moment and if you have that moment where you're like, hey, my brain's revved up, I'm ready to go, like just start documenting stuff, right? We just were like, hey, we have an opportunity right now. Let's take it. Yeah, I mean, I'll also say that for me that part of that comes with the fact that I've built a muscle around if I have an idea, I got to write it down because I have a 60 second working memory and then the history is cleared like every 60 seconds. So like ideas have to make their way into an external system or they could be lost forever. So I tend to one capture organize, uh, capture ideas very, very quickly. Then if, if I have the time and the energy, I like to go just deep on it because my brain is going to move at like a thousand miles an hour. So I can actually just finish an entire concept if I just 
hyper focus on it for like an hour or two, I could just get through the whole thing. Because if I, if I step it out and you've seen this, you've seen this with me almost every time we do almost anything. What's the first thing I do when we're going to go into a meeting? You brain dump, you get, you get, no, no, no. When we go into like, we're about to go into a meeting with like a client or we're about to go into a meeting with Mm. like someone, it's like a project. What's the first thing that I ask? I don't know if I know. I usually I just say, I don't remember. Yeah. I usually just say, okay, so who is this and what is this about? Like, I literally have no concept. Oh, right? what you so ask like, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Right, no, yeah, I don't yeah. mean like what I ask myself. I mean, in every meeting, when we get into like a thing right before we get in, I go, okay, five minutes. Give me what we're talking about, who this is. Right. Remind me of every, because every, every time I stop and start again, every single time we restart, I have to be filled in completely about what it was to get back into the headspace to do that thing. So I found That's it's right. actually yeah. easier to just snowball rolling down a hill. Just let it go. Just do it all right now. Get it done because I'll get the whole, I'll get 80% of the whole thing done in that rapid fire time. I'll just map it all out and I'll be done with it. Because if we stop, then the next time we pick it back up, I'm going to go, Sarah, what, what did we say this talk is going to be about? And what was that idea I had? And what is that? like, this is why we record everything we do. Yeah. Couple lessons in there for sure. One is that if you do need someone to prompt you, prep you, you know, that's critical. I, we definitely do that before every meeting. But then on the flip side of that, we also have a post meeting yes. with after we meet with clients and we again, get that stuff out of your head so that it's captured um, in a format that then we can actually deliver on the work. So that's, a, I think, a huge tip. The other tip that is great is, again, just be in the moment. If it's flowing and the creative juices are flowing, like do not stop. Just keep yes. going and let that stuff out and document as much as you can. So yeah, don't wait for 100%. the perfect moment. It might never come. Yeah, so let, let's uh, shift into a little bit about our work together on Brains at Work, because my process is actually very, very similar to yours. I think the difference is the actual tools we use and how we were, mm. how we were in, like physically um, getting that work done. Yeah. And I think that, so Brains at Work, we did inside of Notion um, and we kind of tried to figure out who does what part. So we, so the, the, I think the difficulty is doing it for myself. I know I'm doing all of the parts. So it's very easy. When we were doing it together, we had to try and figure out, well, how do we keep a contrast going? So it's not just me talking for 20 minutes and then you talking. For, like we wanted it to be a back and forth and we wanted it to be a good natural back and forth. So we had to also find a way of, you know, uh, of, of spelling out who does what, when, right? So there was that part. Um, typically when I do my stuff by myself, I will, everything's kind of like a big bullet point thing. And then I usually just go right to the slides as long as I have enough information in between. And I just start to put it together like a, a storyboards almost like here's the next stage. And and the other thing, and you brought, you called this out shortly when we were done uh, with the whole process, you were like, Jeff, there's like 180 slides. And I was like, yeah, is that not normal? And no, it's apparently- You're like, is that, a, is that enough? I was like, yeah, Jeff, that's enough. It's a 60 minute talk. Yeah. But to me, I'm like, you go one to the other to, 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 and right to the next, then you got a gift and you do this because you're squirrel, like to me, that's how you keep people's attention. But it was interesting because you mentioned that's not always how it's done. Um, so yeah, so we did ours in Notion. We went back and forth. And I think what I noticed that one of the big differences was, is that when I look at a section as part of our talk, in my head, I see clearly what it's all going to be about. And I can just go up there and talk about that thing. And you're more thoughtful about it. You're more like, I'm going to actually make sure that I script out the parts that I want to make sure I hit on. And you're going to actually study those lines. You're going to go through and you're going to do all that work. 
I noticed that that was a big discrepancy between my sections and your sections. Like your sections were well thought out, well written out. And mine were like four bullet points. And I was like, I'm going to talk about these four things. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting difference. Yeah, I would say our overall process was very similar, but then our once we got into the weeds of the, the detail of the work, we then we approached it, approached it very differently. So great. But Any final we, before we just leave on the the one last thing on that before we wrap up. If you could go back and redo our process and you were leading it. Cause I because I kind of took the reins and like getting us, you had all sorts of stuff going on. So I took the reins on kind of like getting us ready uh, and like mapping out the talk and then filling in, we met and filled in your parts and everything. But if you were going to take the reins on it and you were going to map it out, since our processes are similar, but there are some differences, how would you have done it? What would you have changed about what we did? So I'm working on a new keynote by myself right now. It's a very like personalized process for me. So working with you, and again, to be clear, Brains at Work is about neurodiversity in the workplace. That is what this talk is about. So I actually would not have changed anything in our process together because you had to do it the way that you needed to do it to get the best content out of your head and to make sure that it had an arc and a narrative. So I actually wouldn't have changed anything because of the fact that you needed to do it that way and I could adapt to that process, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, especially because the talk is about neurodiversity at work, I think it's just really important to like say the elephant in the room of, we had to approach this a little bit differently, but we also had a compromise in how we had to do things. If you remember too, before we, the first time we ever delivered it, I said, Jeff, I need to practice. Like I need reps. We got to go through this thing many times. And you were like, okay, I know you need that. Mm -hmm. And there was things that I said, I know you need that. So I think I, I, I wouldn't have really changed anything in our process because we both needed different things to get that end result of creating a new keynote. Interesting. Interesting. That's what it's about. Yeah. I like the, the, the <laughs> like we actually it, really live our mission. If you're, we do. you know, if, we do. if listeners just, are paying attention. <laughs> I, the, the only thing that like, I I'm always, cause you're so adaptable to me that the one thing that I also want to make I always want to be like really careful of is not to always say that the onus is on the neurotypical person in, in a group to be the one to always adapt and change because, and, and granted most neurodiverse people, we've spent a lifetime trying to adapt and fit into things that we don't fit into. But, um, you know, I think in, in looking at what our process was, I think the output of our talk is, I think our talk is phenomenal. Um, and I'm sure that there are parts of it that were frustrating on both sides. And I guess what I'm, I still want to talk about, and it's probably just something to take offline after this, but like, I want to make sure that when we're looking at those things and when we're talking about those things, we're not also just saying like, oh, well, the easiest thing is because Sarah's more adaptable and Jeff needs this, that just let Jeff do his thing the way he does. I want to make sure that we're always looking for like, how do we make it so that both sides are being willing to meet halfway sometimes. So and we did that. I, yeah. We really did do that because if you remember the, the week before we first gave it you could sense my like we need to practice we need reps we need to run through it right and we need to learn this talk so well and you gave me that right yeah. so it, it did go both ways you know you definitely I know I, I even on a Sunday I was like Jeff we're running out of days and you're like all right it's a Sunday afternoon let's do it now and um that 
was something that you gave me because you knew I needed that. So yeah, it certainly goes both ways. Fair. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, Jeff, these were wonderful tips. So much insight into kind of the behind the scenes of how we do things and and the speaking industry as a whole, your experience. So thank you for sharing that. Um, So I would say that this episode was shareable. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader? which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.